Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Well, good morning. So good to be with you. I, uh, I'm going to tell you, I am going to sit down and teach today, and there's a reason for that. It's because I want to. <laughs> We're starting a new series today. I get the, the privilege of kind of doing the, the kickoff message for the series on parables, uh, small stories, big truth. If you have a Bible, find your way to Matthew chapter 13. Today's message is called A Lesson on Listening. Wives, how many of you think your husbands need to take lessons on listening? (laughs) Two men were talking and one says, yeah, my wife talks to herself a lot. The other guy says, mine does too. She doesn't realize I'm not listening. (laughs) <laughs> a man goes to his pastor. He's concerned that his, that his wife, is, he's not sure whether she's losing her hearing or maybe she's, after years of marriage, she started to just to kind of ignore him. And he's very concerned about it. And so he's talking to his pastor and the pastor tells the man, well, what you need to do is you need to you kind of give her a little hearing test. And he says, what do you mean? He says, well, go find, when you find, come in the room with your wife, if her back is to you, stand about 15 feet away and just say, ask her a simple question in a, in a normal voice. And then if, if she doesn't respond, then move a little closer. And then if she still doesn't respond, move a little closer until she finally is able to hear you. So he did. He went home and his wife was standing at the stove and he come through the kitchen door and he stopped. Her back is to him and he said, sweetheart, what's for dinner? Nothing. So he moved about five feet closer, sweetheart. What's for dinner? Moved about three foot closer, I mean five foot closer. Honey, what's for dinner? No no response. So finally comes right up, puts his his head right about here and says, sweetheart, what's for dinner? She throws the spatula down, turns around. For the fourth time, we're having chicken. (laughs) Sometimes we have hearing problems, right? I I can attest to this. This has been going on for years. Yeah, I'm a little bit, I'm a, I've, been, I've had it checked. I'm a little bit hard of hearing, but it's been, this is nothing new. I can go all the way back to the 80s, and, and, and I was working on a tractor one day, and I'm sitting there, and the, the machine is running, and a, a guy walks by and says, wow, you've got a, a high-end tick in that engine. And I go, really? He goes, you don't hear that? I said, I don't hear it. And he took me, we walked around that diesel engine several times, and I told him, I can't hear what you're talking about. For some reason, there's a certain pitch, certain frequency, apparently I wasn't able to pick up on. Um, I learned even back then, uh, if my wife ever tells me the car is making a funny sound or making a certain noise, I've learned to listen to her. She's got great hearing. Sometimes she hears things I haven't even said yet. <laughs> but, but, but she kept telling me it's, it's making a certain noise and she tried to describe it and... and uh, Finally, one day we were just, we were going down the street and the windows were down and we passed by some buildings that were all plate glass windows and we got in line with those windows and I guess the sound was echoing off that and it came back, finally heard it and was able to locate it and and do a repair on that car. Uh, Yeah, all of us at times have trouble listening, right? Uh, 
We could all use an improvement on our hearing. Uh, sometimes there's nothing wrong with our hearing. It's the listening that doesn't come easy. I think that's why no less than 16 times in the New Testament do we read about Jesus saying these words, He that has ears to hear, what? Let him hear. Someone once noted, God gave us two ears and one mouth. We should learn to use them proportionately. They're right. James said this, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. The writer of Psalm 78, verse 1, listen, O my people, to my instruction, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Hearing has always been a problem, especially when it comes to hearing God. We need a lesson in listening. Now, you've all heard of the Sermon on the Mount. What we're going to look at today is what we could call the Sermon by the Sea. Okay, so if you have your Bibles in Matthew 13, Jesus gives a parable about different kinds of listeners. Now, it's often referred to as the parable of the sower, the parable of the seeds, or the parable of the soil. Any of those names really fit. But if you have your Bible there in Matthew 13, look at verse 1. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the sea and the great multitudes were gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Now, get, get this, don't, don't miss this. What did Jesus do when he got in the boat? And, and what did the multitude do? They stood up. We've had it backwards all these years. You're, you're welcome to stand until I'm done if you, if you want to be biblical. But he got in the boat and he sat and this whole multitude stood on the shore. And then it says that he spoke many things to them in parables. Now we don't use that word a lot today. It's actually a, a form of a word para meaning near or alongside of and balo, which means to throw something down, to lay it down alongside something. It signifies the placing of one thing beside another with a view of comparison. That's what a parable is. It's a story that you lay down alongside something to draw a comparison of. Now, it says in verse 1, on the same day Jesus went out of his house, on what same day? You need to understand the context. It's going to play into what he's going to say. So you'd have to go back to chapter 12. And Jesus has had a very eventful day. In chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, he engages in the religious leaders over a controversy of his disciples walking through a field, plucking ears of corn. They were hungry. And it, was, it happened on the Sabbath day. And the religious leaders were furious about it. In verses 9 to 13, there was a controversy over healing somebody on the Sabbath, a man with a, a withered hand. In the verses following in chapter 12, Jesus is then accused of being in league with Satan. He experiences then complete rejection by some of the religious leaders. And then as chapter 12 closes out, he is then pressured to perform a sign to authenticate his claim as Messiah. As if healing a man's withered hand wasn't enough, now they want a sign. So he's up to this point already had a very eventful day. Now, the word here, in one of its forms, 
is used 14 times between verse 1 and verse 23. This is, a, this is a lesson on listening. It's learning to hear. Now the first thing Jesus does, He spoke many things, verse 3, He spoke many things to them in parables saying, Behold. Mark, Mark when He records this, this parable, he, he uses the word listen. Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed some, and some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds came and trampled it down. Now what Jesus is going to do is he's going to give us a soil analysis. If you're a gardener or you're a farmer, you understand the importance of using a, a soil and analyzing your soil, finding out what the pH is, knowing what the nutrients or lack of nutrients are in a particular uh, piece of ground. If you want to get the most out of that, that garden or that crop, you regularly have the soil analyzed so you know what you can plant or whether you need to treat it some way so that it begins to produce up to its potential. The first soil is wayside soil. Now, this, this is the path. This refers to the path that was between the fields where people would walk. It's much, if you want a, a good illustration of just, just think of the, the dirt roads and the canal banks in, in our farming world. If you've ever gone out into any of the fields, you take a road, some of those roads are beat down as hard as asphalt. From all of the travel of machinery and pickups and all of the like, you, you could throw seed on there and it's probably never going to penetrate it so hard. That's the kind of soil that Jesus starts talking about. But then he, he refers to shallow soil. Look at verse 5. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Now that is just simply referring to shallow soil. Then, he mentions contaminated soil. Look at verse 7. Some of the seed fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. This is contaminated soil. Years ago in the 80s, I worked uh, for about four years for the Corcoran Irrigation District. And one of the responsibilities I was tasked with was periodically I would go up and down the, the canal network that the irrigation was responsible for maintaining, and I was specifically looking for clumps of what was called bindweed. How many of you know what bindweed is? A few hands went up. It, it is, it's also called morning glory. Does that help anybody? Morning glory, yeah. It, it, it can actually be kind of a, a nice looking plant, but it does not have nice intentions when it comes to the crops. It vines out, and it's called bindweed because if you let it go unchecked, it will actually vine itself around a cotton stalk or whatever you're trying to grow. It will actually choke the life out of that plant. It will hurt your yield. And it's, if the soil is contaminated with that stuff, it's not good for your crops. My job with the irrigation district was to go out and look for that, and I'd take a 5,000-gallon boom truck out and, and spray any place I saw this bindweed growing, and then give it a few weeks to turn brown and die. Then I would come back with a huge propane tank and a big torch, and I love this job. Fire. 
And I would burn that stuff and try to, we just kept it in control. The farmers did not want our ditches to be contaminating their crops because that stuff would, would choke the life out of a plant. Contaminated soil. Then Jesus mentions finally the fourth kind of soil in his analysis of soils, a fertile soil. Look at verse 8. But others, speaking of the seed, fell on good ground, yielded a crop, some hundred, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. It brought forth something. Now that's Jesus' analysis of certain kinds of soil. His disciples come to him with a question. Why do you speak to these people in parables? And what Jesus then does, and we're just going to read the following verses because they're going to come into play as we get into the explanation of this parable. They come to, why do you speak in parables? And Jesus really gives sort of an indictment against those who have seen Him perform miracles, who has heard Him teach, and yet accused Him of being in league with Satan. He says... It's because it has been given to you, and he's speaking to his disciples, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even that which he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, that's why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they don't see. Hearing, they don't hear nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. But men, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and blessed are your ears, because they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and many righteous men longed to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now that's quite an indictment. It sounds pretty harsh. But Jesus then following that does something He doesn't do in any of the other parables that He told. He actually gives you the interpretation of it. He explains it. There's no question about what the, the soil analysis laying alongside of something, what he's talking about. Because it's not really about soil. It's about how you listen, how receptive people are to the gospel, the seed, the word of God. And so it, from verse 19 down to 23, Jesus explains the parables of the soil. And the first, write this down, is a calloused heart. He's explaining the wayside soil. What does that represent? Now he's talking about a calloused heart. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one, Satan, comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. So this is the person mentioned in verse 12 that does not have so that even what they do have shall be taken away from them. This is a person with a hard heart. The reason this person doesn't understand, folks, isn't due to a deficiency in the message. It's due to the person's own hardness 
of heart. If you wanted to use an Old Testament word, the Old Testament would refer to this person as a stiff-necked person. Completely indifferent. The word makes no penetration into his or her heart or mind. Spiritual things are foolishness to these. The soil of his or her heart has become so pounded down that it's impervious and it's insensitive. And folks, I don't have to tell you, we have a growing culture today that is becoming harder and harder and harder to reach because they think the things that we're doing in this building are absolutely foolishness and a waste of time. It's scary how closed off so many people are. This, this is the kind of person, Proverbs 1-7 says, they hate wisdom and they hate instruction. This is the person of Proverbs 14-1 who says there is no God. Paul spoke about this kind of person in 2 Corinthians 4-4 and he said this, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. These are people with wayside kinds of hearts, hardened hearts. You know, there are several things that will, the Bible speaks of that will harden a person's heart. Number one is sin. Willful sin. Hebrews 3.13 says this, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened, look at this, through the deceitfulness of sin. Don't think when you choose to do something sinful that it does not have an effect on your heart. Just like the repeated wheels of a vehicle or tractor running up and down a canal bank just gradually compacts and compacts and compacts that soil. Every time you sin, there's a little bit of callus that, that forms over your heart. Pride is also something that can harden your heart. In the Old Testament book of Daniel, one of the greatest rulers of that ancient world was Nebuchadnezzar. He got very proud of who he was and what he could do. And it says in verse 20 of Daniel 5, but when his heart was lifted up, that means he became proud. His spirit was hardened in what? Pride. He was disposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And what, if you go and read that story, he basically went insane for a period of time. His fingernails grew long and he was out in the pastures and the dew of the meadow and he fed for seven years just like an ox. Pride hardened his heart. Unbelief, willful unbelief can harden your heart. Mark 16, 14. Later, Jesus, this is after the resurrection, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and Jesus rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Willful unbelief. Say, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe God. I don't believe God can get me through this situation. It hardens your heart. I've known people, you've known people who've lost a loved one or gone through a difficult situation financially and they start blaming God. Oh, they say, I believe in God. But they, they go, whatever God did, He blew it on my account. He was wrong. He was sinful in how He treated me. And listen, your unbelief begins to harden your heart. It can happen even 
to followers of Jesus Christ, your heart no longer is tender before God. Perhaps because of sin, perhaps because you become proud, perhaps it's simply because of your unbelief. But I think one of the greatest reasons our hearts get hardened is because of resistance. We resist. The greatest single cause of impaired hearing a fresh truth from God's Word is, listen, it's the refusal to live out what you already know. Right? See, most Christians, they know far more than they're living. They're not applying everything they know to their life. Stephen, in the book of Acts, had given this great sermon before the people who were about to kill him, stone him to death. And man, he laid it out and he had them hooked. He gave a great uh, Reader's Digest version of Israel's colorful history. And they're listening to him and then finally he does something and he just nails them. And just before he was martyred, here are the words he said to them, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so also you do. When you know God's Word, folks, but you choose not to, to apply it and use it in your life and, and, listen, align yourself with God's Word, you're resisting God and what it does, it just keeps hammering on your, your heart and your, your ears. You become dull of hearing. You don't get any new truth because, frankly, God will not give you anymore. He which has, even that which He has will be taken away. So, one of the reasons is because our hearts can get calloused. Lloyd John Ogilvie wrote a book called An Autobiography of God. He said this, quote, I have observed hard-hearted Christians with hearing problems in churches across our land. They have set ideas and beliefs, customs and familiar practices developed through the years take on the authority of the Ten Commandments. Political beliefs and economic theories are baptized with holy fervor. The Americanized Jesus of our own making makes it difficult to listen to the biblical Christ. The great danger for us as church members is the immense truth and insight we are given each week in sermons, Bible studies, and fellowship. If we do not express what is impressed, we will get depressed, end quote. Isn't that good? Very, very true. A calloused heart. That's wayside soil. But then he mentions a capricious heart. Now, I, I use the word capricious, and I want to give you the definition of that word because not everybody understands that word. Maybe Webster's defines capricious this way, lacking Firmness or steadfastness in purpose or devotion. Now, let's see if that definition fits these verses. Look at verse 20. But he who received seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. 
For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now, these are those who initially received the word of God with enthusiasm, but they fail to grow. Their, their faith lacks root, it lacks depth. They live solely for the moment. They are as fickle as the weather. And they're always at the mercy of their present circumstances. They never let the truth take hold of them. They never learn, they never learn that faith, not feeling, is the key to productive Christian living. These are the ones that James spoke of in James chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a what? Doer. In other words, they don't, they don't apply it. He's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself and then he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. These are the ones who, who one, day, one day they cry out, Hosanna to, to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, only a week later to be saying, crucify him. These are those kinds of people. A calloused heart and a capricious heart. Lacking firmness, lacking stability in purpose or devotion. But then Jesus says, the other one is a cluttered heart. Verse 22 Jesus now goes back to his soil analysis. The one who receives seed among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Luke has a parallel passage in his gospel. He also records the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. He does that as well. Luke, Luke 8.14 is the exact parallel of Matthew 13.22. Here's what Luke writes. Now the one that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. So Luke says it's the cares or the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the pleasures of this life. These are people, folks, who have a divided loyalty. These things of the kingdom hold some place in their lives, but it's just not a priority. I wrote a poem years ago, and I'm not sure I can quote it. It just came into my mind, but it would speak eloquently if I can remember 30 years ago. This pray for me. Yes, I want the Savior. I hope the cost is small. Just a picture of his face to hang upon a wall. Or maybe plastered hands in prayer. That would be nice, you see. They can hold the books that sit so nice on top of my TV. Oh, yes, I want the Savior more than all the earth. But not too much for me right now. I'll take a dollar's worth. That's how a lot of people are. Yeah, I want Jesus, but man, I want, I want to do my own thing, live my own life. I don't want him to infringe on my fun. And they have, listen, they have a divided loyalty. They have a cluttered heart. David prayed, Lord, unite my heart, O Lord, unite my heart. David had a divided heart at times and he, and he admitted it. Sometimes he was white hot in passion for, for the things of God. And at other times he stood on the rooftop and he looked at a woman who was bathing. And he allowed himself to drift from his loyalty. 
the prophet Haggai, the Old Testament. He rebuked the people of his day for having that attitude. Before Haggai preached, what had happened was the, the Jews that had been in Babylonian captivity had been allowed to go back and were given permission to rebuild the temple. And they were excited and they went back and, and it took them a long time, but they got the foundation in place. And there was such a celebration of, of joy and, and people who had seen it in its former glory began to weep and you could hear them from miles away as they had this celebration and were overcome with emotion that the foundation of the temple had been relayed and was ready to be built. Now you could start building the temple. But eventually, people got too busy. And they began to neglect that. And so Haggai the prophet comes to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the, the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai to the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled homes? And this temple lies in ruins? Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You know what happened to the people of Haggai's day? They started, they started with a fervor. But then pretty soon, they got more interested in fixing up their own homes. Making sure their own lives were what, what they wanted them to be. And the, the place of worship was, was, wasn't under construction. They began to neglect that. You see, they had a cluttered heart, a divided heart. That's the kind of heart that Jesus is talking about. But look at the fourth kind of heart. We'll call it a cultivated heart. You cultivate something, it means to promote the growth, development, or progress of, to prepare for the raising of crops. If you're a farmer, you know exactly what it means to cultivate. Sometimes you have to, you have to get deep eight-foot ripper shanks to sink deep into the earth to break up the, the, the hardened soil from years of watering and running machines over. You have to break it up. Other times you just disc it up and you, you, you loosen it all up and break the clods all up. You're cultivating it. You're getting it ready to receive the seed. He who receives seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Again, in Luke's gospel, his parallel passage, Luke 8, 15, he says that Jesus said this, But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. You want to know what good soil looks like? And I'm talking about your heart. Check yourselves. Is my heart the kind of cultivated heart that has been prepared to, to, to be fruitful for God. First of all, getting this from Luke, he says it's receptive. It says, having heard the word, they received the word. But not only have they it was, were they receptive, but secondly, they were responsive. It says they keep it. They don't just hear it and let it go. They're not just hearers of the word and not doers. They were also doers of the word. They keep it. So they're receptive. They're responsive. And, it's, and then he, Luke says, and they bring forth fruit. So they're reproductive. Ask yourself, do I receive God's word, respond to God's word? And am I productive in my Christian life? Is there fruit coming out of my life? 
But I notice, according to, to Luke, that it's also resilient. Our hearts are resilient because he says it brings fruit with patience. The word means continuance or perseverance. You, you, you don't stop just because things get rough in your life. You keep growing even during the storms, even during viruses. And, and when, when the church is not gathering under one roof, did you continue to grow? There's a lot of folks have never come back. They've gotten used to not being in a local assembly of believers. Uh, to, to borrow from the scriptures in Hebrews, they have forsaken the assembling of themselves together as the manner of some is. But a fruitful heart, a, a, a cultivated heart, listen, it, it receives the word, it responds to the word, it keeps it, it's reproductive, it brings forth fruit, and it keeps on bringing forth fruit. It's resilient. It doesn't let life knock it off course. You see, because it's not capricious and it's not cluttered. It's a life that's been cultivated, right? Now, the big question for us right now is, so what? How do we apply this? I want to refer you back now to, to verse 12 and thir of, of chapter 13. When Jesus said this, and it sounds so harsh, For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. He's speaking of fruitfulness there. But whoever does not have... Even that which he has will be taken away. It's, it's that wayside soil. It received the word. The word the laid, was laid on it, but, but it was taken away. That which was sown in his heart was taken away. Satan took it. So how, do, how are we going to apply this? Because listen, I know, I know you want to be fruitful to the kingdom. You don't want to spin your wheels for the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years and not have anything to show for it in terms of God's using your life to grow his kingdom, right? So, three application thoughts. Number one, identify areas of hardness or resistance in your life. This is how you can apply this. What has God told you to stop or start doing? Perhaps he's challenged you in the past. You need to start giving faithfully instead of sporadically. There are a lot of tippers in the kingdom. But they've never believed God to provide for their needs so much to the point that they give regularly and faithfully a tithe of all they receive. Maybe God has told you to do that. Maybe He's told you, you need to engage in personal ministry. You see, a lot of people come through the doors and they sit and they soak, but they never serve. Right? Which one of those three are you? Are you just sitting today? You're soaking it in, and are you going to get up and walk out and never lift a finger to serve the Lord? Perhaps He's been prompting some of you to commit yourself to becoming a member of South Valley. A lot of people downplay the importance of membership in Jesus' church. Listen, you're, if you know Jesus Christ, you're a member of His church. But we're talking about commitment to a local body of believers, becoming part of them, supporting the work, supporting the missionary endeavors, supporting the ministries, engaging in that. Don't ever 
downplay the significance of being plugged into and a part of a local representation of the body of Christ. Identify areas that you've been hardened or resisting. You know you should, or you know you shouldn't, and you keep doing it, or you never start doing it. Identify some of those areas. Number two, identify some areas of shallowness in your life. Are you stumbling and drifting away from God under your present circumstances? Some of you watching, are you stumbling and drifting away from God because of the current circumstances you find yourself in? Has some hardship you've encountered caused you to think wrongly of God? Have you in the secret recesses of your heart blamed or accused God of doing something wrong? I'm going to ask you a simple question. Has God ever done something sinful? Give me a resounding no. No. God has never acted wrongly. God has never acted unrighteously. You may not like what you have had to swallow in terms of your life, but you're you're shallow in your understanding of God if you accuse Him of blowing it and making a mistake. I know He took a loved one. I know you've struggled financially. Something has happened. You've lost a job. Your health is deteriorating. Don't get to the point where you have a shallow view of God. He is still the God He's always been. So, don't blame or accuse God of of things. Number three, by way of application, identify some misplaced priorities. Are a lot of activities cluttering up your life? Are you so busy you don't have time to engage in serving God? You've got all of your hobbies and all of the extracurricular activities you can plug into the calendar, but where where does God fit into all of that? Are there some misplaced priorities you need to deal with as you go into the new year? Maybe you need to establish, hey, you know what, some things have got to go. I am running myself ragged doing this, 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 and this, and I'm doing nothing to support the kingdom of God with my presence and with my spiritual giftedness. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? That's another way to ask the same question. And are your excuses for keeping the priorities you have right now legitimate? Let me give you a principle. We're going to wrap this up. Here's the principle. The one who habitually responds in obedience to God's word will find that their life will bear fruit for God's eternal kingdom. This is the one who has, and more will be given to him in abundance. You want that, amen? You want what you have to be fruitful. So listen, learn to habitually obey when God reveals new truth to you. And he's done that this morning. Say, God, wow, stepped on my toes this morning. I know why Frank is sitting down now. Yeah, if he spoke to you, receive it, go ouch, and then go amen, God, so be it. I will change that area of my life, right? Here's here's a picture, an Old Testament picture 
of the person who received seed on cultivated ground. Okay, here it is. Psalm 1, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And here's what he or she will be like. They will be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he or she does shall prosper. Folks, God will continue to give you fresh truth if you have a heart to obey that truth. But if you're not habitually obeying Him, don't expect Him to keep giving you more. But as you respond and receive that and, and adjust your life to line up with what God has said, He says, I can trust that person with more. And so what they have, I'm going to give them more. More truth. God will continue to give fresh truth to those who receive it. Today, consider the soil of your heart. Perhaps, perhaps it is you that has become hard of hearing and not God who isn't speaking. Amen? Hey South Valley, my name is Seth Kurtz and I just wanted to let you know real quick that we have a membership class coming up on January 23rd. Now, I know that sometimes there can be some hesitancy about membership with the church, so we just wanted to give you some quick reasons why we value membership at South Valley. Three of those reasons are number one, that it clarifies expectations of what it means to be a member at South Valley. Number two, it ensures that all of us are moving forward in the same direction and in the same way. And number three, it ensures that all of our leaders are unified and qualified. See, we believe that membership is an opportunity to live out Christianity in the biblical way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? See, in the original Greek, every time he uses the word you, it's the second person plural, meaning all of us, the body of local believers together are working as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And this means that inherent to Christianity and carrying out the mission is community and in doing this together. Uh, Joe Sleneker once said, there is an inherent assumption of teamwork, cooperation, and unity as the people of God function as the temple today. So we'd love for you to join us in our membership class and to be a part of what it is that we're doing here at South Valley Community Church. Father, your word, sometimes it cuts us to the quick, but it is always to grow us into more Christ-likeness. I pray for your people here that today their hearts have been challenged, that, Father, your word has kind of gotten in their face, and that, Lord, today they will say, yes, I'm going to change that. At the threshold of a new year, Lord, this is a great time to be motivated to stop doing certain things and to start doing other things and just become more and more obedient to what your word teaches. Grow us to become more like Christ. That's your goal. And that happens when we obey your truth. As we walk out those doors, Lord, there's a world out there that needs to know about Jesus. Help us to be faithful to tell others about Christ. But Lord, there may be some here today whose hearts are hardened because of sin, because of unbelief, because they've resisted 
giving their life to Jesus Christ. And I want to pray, Lord, for that person, that man or woman, boy or girl that may be in this room that has never bowed the knee to Jesus. Pride has kept them from heaven, from eternal life. And today they need to slay the dragon of pride and humbly come before you, trusting your death on the cross, your resurrection from the grave, and believing that you died for their sin. Lord, move in this place right now. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to dismiss now. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but God has spoken to you this morning and you know good and well, I have never trusted Christ. I've come to church, I've heard it, but I always walk out going no. But today you want to say yes. If that is you, there's going to be some folks come up here who will pray with you. I will be up here for a few moments. We want you to come. Let us pray with you and lead you to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The rest of you, have a good and godly week. Take care.